Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And you'll find it a great help if you open your Bibles again at that reading from Ephesians chapter 5, page 1176 in the Church Bibles. And as we turn to God's word, let's pray for his help tonight to understand and to change. Father, we thank you for this most remarkable, beautiful, and thrilling passage, and yet also a passage that is profoundly challenging to us. Father, we would ask that you would help us tonight to understand it, to live lives which reflect it, and Father, our ultimate prayer is that in and through us, you would be glorified as the world sees your people living in action, and we pray this for your glory, amen. In a room this size, it's, um, it's hard to think of, of one thing we all have in common. We are a diverse bunch. We are diverse in terms of our age. Some of us are younger and, and some of us are more mature in years. Uh, some of us are sporty and some hate sports. Some of us support England at rugby and just a few of us support Scotland still at rugby. Um, Some of us have degrees, some of us don't. Some of us own our own houses, some of us will never own our own house. Uh, Some of us are introverts, some of us are extroverts. Um, Some of us have Facebook accounts and use apps and things like, I'm reading here, Snapchat and Instagram and WhatsApp, uh, I'm told. Uh, And lots of us will never use those things. In a room this size, it's very hard to think of one thing we all have in common. And yet, as we turn to Ephesians 5, we find there is one thing that we all have in common. 
That is, if, if we're Christians here tonight, we have this one thing in common. If you're not a Christian, you're very welcome amongst us tonight. I hope you will learn lots as you spend time with us tonight. But there is one thing that every Christian here has in common. We are all engaged to be married. All the details have been arranged. The date has been set. There is a venue. The menu has been chosen. The banquet has been organized. I take it the plans for live music are well in hand. And there's even someone to marry. We are all engaged. This might be a shock for some of us here tonight. Perhaps we are already married. Uh, You might have to have a conversation with your spouse on the way home tonight. Um, Perhaps we have been married, but we are bereaved or we are divorced. Uh, Perhaps we are single and we long to be married, but we're not married Uh, Perhaps we are single and know that for some reason or other, we will most probably never be married in this life. And yet Paul says, for each Christian here tonight, we are engaged. Whatever our current marital status in this life now, we are engaged and one day we will be married caught up in the most glorious, eternal relationship imaginable. Our reading tonight has lots to say about human marriage now in the present, and we will spend good time thinking about the shape and patterns of human marriage. There'll be lots for us to learn tonight if we are married already. There'll be lots for us to learn if we want to be married, to understand the kind of person we should be aiming for now to be ready to be married There'll be lots here for us tonight, for those of us who are single or for the wider church family who want to support those who are married. But above and behind and beyond our understanding of human marriage now in the present lies the much more profound, eternal, glorious marriage between Christ and his church. I look at how Paul summarizes this whole section for us tonight there at the end, verse 32 After all he said, he says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. As a boy, I used to love playing with Lego cars. I still do, I guess, in a way, but I don't do it as much now. Um, I I loved the way that the Lego cars were so realistic. They had real suspension, and they had real rack and pinion steering, and and real motors, and real uh, wheels that moved around. And I guess actually part of the appeal for the young boy was that the Lego car was actually very realistic compared to the real car. I wasn't old enough to drive the real car, but I could have a go at the Lego car. And the Lego car was a picture of the real car. And if you don't mind the gear change, um, it's a bit like that with, with the human marriage and with the marriage between Christ and the church. Christ and the church, that eternal relationship is, is the most foundational reality. And human marriage is a, is a model, a picture which points to the greater, more profound reality. And just as the deeper, profound reality shapes and sizes the human uh, marriage, uh, just as, as, the, as the car shapes and sizes the Lego model, And so as we look at tonight at the pattern for human marriage, let us not forget 
that we are all engaged to be married, caught up in that more glorious, eternal relationship. And let us not forget that to be part of God's master plan, to bring all things together under Christ, uh, to be a part of that plan is to be a bride loved by Christ. Whatever our position tonight, single, divorced, bereaved, married, happily or, or sadly so, this is our common future. It is a good future. It is a glorious future. And our earthly marriage now points to that greater, more glorious future. With that in mind, what does Paul have to say to us tonight about our marriage, whether earthly or eternal? Well, verse 21 sets the context for us. Look down with me. Verse 21, Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence, for Christ. This week and next, Paul will show us what this means in practice. First tonight with the relationship between a husband and a wife, and then next week as Paul looks at the dynamic between parents and children and between master and slave. And in all of these relationships, Paul begins this whole section by saying that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul urges us to have a mindset, a perspective which puts the other person before our own needs and agendas. But as we look at these three different relationships over the next two weeks, we'll see that the way that we are to submit to one another is not symmetrical in practice. It is not symmetrical between a parent and a child. It is not symmetrical between a master and a slave. And so too here tonight, between a wife and a husband. The way that a wife and a husband are to submit to one another is not symmetrical. So what does Paul say to wives and to husbands tonight? Well, first, Paul addresses the wives. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is, I think, one of the most um, controversial verses in all of Ephesians. Wives, submit. It sounds out of place to our 21st century ears. It seems to go against the flow of culture. It seems to be taken from a kind of bygone era when things were done differently. Time has moved on. It feels as if this urge is out of date. And look, it doesn't just sound out of date, it also sounds dangerous, doesn't it? According to Women's Aid, one in four women will experience domestic violence at some point in her life. Not always at the hands of her husband, but husbands do have a big part to play in that number. And so is Paul saying here that women should just submit in that context of abuse, just be, be silent and bear up under it. Well, not for one second. Uh, when people hear the word submission, I, I guess we often think of what happened when I was a boy playing rugby with my brothers in the back garden. It wasn't really rugby, but um, the way it worked was one of us would get the ball and the other two would, would sort of block the way. And, and, the, and the, the goal was for, for the guy with the ball to run past the other brothers, to break through the line. And they would get a point if he made it across the garden to the other sides. 
Of course, those defending, that their job was to pounce on the ball carrier and to pin him down and to wrestle him to the earth until he couldn't move anymore. And if that happened, the defender's got a point. And I think many people think that submission is a bit like carrying the ball in rugby, getting pinned down to the ground until you cannot move. And then you are in a place of submission, the loser in the contest. Uh, being the youngest, by the way, I always lost, um, so it wasn't a fun place to be. Um, but that is not at all the picture that Paul has in his mind when he talks about submission here in verse 22. If it was, I can imagine why we'd want to run a million miles from that kind of oppression and control. But for Paul, the, when he says to the wife to submit, he, he's not telling her uh, to submit herself to a greater force in a way of being oppressed. No, he's asking her freely to choose to submit herself out of a free act of her will. This is not a picture of someone being coerced or forced unwillingly into submission, but someone who gladly chooses this course of action. And can I say, if you are in an abusive relationship here tonight, and there may be some, tell someone about it. That is not what Paul is asking you to endure. Um, come and speak to me if it's appropriate. Uh, there'll be others around who are wearing a badge. Come and speak to them. Maybe speak to a good friend if that's appropriate. But this is not telling you that you have to stand alone in that position of abuse. That is not at all what Paul means. And also Paul is not talking about our worth or our quality as humans. Uh, the world around us tells us that our worth comes from what we do or from the role we occupy in life. But we've seen in Ephesians that our worth does not come from what we do. No, in fact, apart from Christ, we were all dead in our actions. No, our worth, our status comes from being made alive in Christ, becoming the children of God. And that status, that worth is not dependent on what we do. So Paul is not talking about uh, who is worth more or who's more significant. No, this uh, plea to submit is rather a plea to acknowledge uh, a difference in role, a difference in order. Look at what he says in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. There is an order to God's created world. It begins with Christ. He is the head over everything. Remember God's master plan. That is the, the point of history, to bring all things together under Christ who is the head. He is the head of the church. But so too the husband is the head of the wife. It is a God-given order to the world that began back in Genesis. And God gave it to us for our good as the church submits to Christ, so the church is blessed, it is for her good. She receives from Christ loving leadership. Uh, she receives gifts that build her up. Uh, she is cared for, looked after, protected by her head. And so to the wife, as she submits to her husband, it is to be a good dynamic, a place of blessing, God's good order given to the world. So what does it mean for the wife to choose to submit? 
Paul doesn't say. He leaves that bit for us to work out. I think this means there is a a degree of freedom for us here tonight to work out what it means for us to submit if we are married. I take it that what it looks like in practice will change from culture to culture, uh, from generation to generation, perhaps even from couple to couple. The principle stays the same, the principle of submission. But what it looks like for a wife to willingly, happily, freely choose to submit to the leadership of her husband, to let him take ultimate responsibility in the marriage, what that looks like in practice, I think, is a matter for couples to work out in their marriages. It is a matter for couples to talk about with other couples, to share notes, talk about what they find works and doesn't work, to be accountable to one another. I came across this uh, very helpful article this week written by a Christian uh, wife describing her experience of submission in her marriage. She writes this, we are both educated professionals who admire one another's skills and intellect and think each other better than ourselves. We've never sat down to work out how it is that I submit or that he leads in our marriage. To do so would seem artificial rather than a natural overflow of love for one another. However, on my part, there is a willingness to let him lead us. And on his part, a desire to put my needs above his own. I think that is a very healthy, mature uh, application, worked out example of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. Submission includes uh, a sense of letting the husband lead. It means acknowledging that he Uh, might have to make the final decision uh, about the direction of the family uh, in life, that he is the one responsible ultimately for protection and care of the family unit. It doesn't mean that the wife has no say in decisions. I found that uh, my wife Lorna frequently has much more insight than I do into what a certain course of action should be. She often has much more profound wisdom and insight. Uh, She is massively important as we talk about what to do next as a couple. I'll be foolish not to talk to her. And in our marriage, we found that, I can't think of a time when we, we've come to a decision where we both haven't agreed after a season of talking and reflecting, that we've moved forward together as a couple. That's how we found it. And yet Lorna has been willing to submit, ultimately, to, to my leadership as she helps me to, to decide and work things through. Now, having said that, I guess at times submission will be hard for those of us who are married. The reality is is that husbands will not always be good leaders. Uh, We are not Christ. We are sinful people who are fallen. Uh, Husbands will at times be lazy or self-centered. They may be short-sighted, lacking wisdom. But Paul doesn't say to the wife, submit to your husband when he's doing really well and when it's easy to submit to him. But when he's being a, a bit annoying, then you can opt out and do your own thing. No, Paul says, in everything, wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, again, I'm not saying in the context of abuse or where there's a clear kind of crossing of a line. But I'm talking here about when husbands are just not quite being as good as they might be as heads. Wives are still to submit to him as their head. A submission will also be hard because ever since Genesis 3, Sin has invaded every aspect of the world. Sin brings friction to the marriage relationship. Remember those 
famous and terrible words back in Genesis 3, verse 16, as God spoke to Eve. He He said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This is a picture of conflict. There is a sense here which, in which the woman wants to dominate the man, to control him, and the man responds with crushing force over and beyond what a loving head would do. And so submission in a world of sin will at times be difficult. There'll need to be forgiveness and reconciliation and saying sorry and of love and bearing with one another, all the things that Ephesians commands each one of us to do. And yet as the wife submits to the husband, the world sees something of the relationship between Christ and the church, for Christ is the head of the church. That's what Paul says to wives here tonight. Now the husbands. And husbands, I should say, the wives have had three verses. The husbands get seven verses here tonight. Paul has not forgotten about the husbands. What does Paul say to husbands? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Nowhere in scripture at any time is the husband told to make it his job to enforce his wife into the role of submission. That is not the husband's job. That is the wife's free choice. The husband's job under Christ is to love. That's what Paul says. And Paul isn't talking about just general love in a general sense. No, he's talking about love with a purpose, a particular kind of love. Um, We were skiing a few weeks ago and um, just imagine, I I said to Lorna, Lorna, I love you very much. Uh, and in fact, you know, to, to show you how much I love you, I'm, I'm going to ski off that crevasse over there. I'm going to ski off the pre- precipice and, and I'll show you how much I love you. Imagine I, I went and did it and I skied off into oblivion, off the edge. How would Lorna feel? Uh, well, she would be confused. I hope she'd be sad. She wouldn't feel loved. You see, the kind of love that Paul wants husbands to show to his wives has a purpose, a direction to it. Imagine instead that Lorna had skied off the edge and was dangling by, by a ski pole over the, the, the precipice. Imagine I skied down and I, I somehow rescued her, but in rescuing her, I fell over the edge and I myself was lost into oblivion. Well, that's love with a purpose. That's uh, showing Lorna that I love her and rescuing her. And Paul says to husbands, love your wives with a purpose, not just in a random sense, in token measure, but love with a purpose. And what is the purpose? Verse 25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why did Christ give himself up for the church? Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. We know how human marriages work. We know that on the, on the morning of, of the marriage, on the wedding day, the bride is, is frantically get, getting ready for the big moment. Uh, there is um, makeup and hair and, and dresses to sort out and shoes and, and perhaps a veil and, and the, the, the kind of flowers. All the details have to be just right. She prepares herself at a great length 
for that moment when she walks down the aisle and meets her groom face to face. There is preparation. And so too with that that heavenly, eternal marriage, there is a season of preparation. Uh, Paul says that um, the bride is being prepared. She has been uh, set apart, made holy. She's been cleansed by the washing with water through the word. That is, she's been cleansed by, by hearing the gospel, the message of Christ dying in her place. She has been brought out of darkness, made alive in Christ. She's been set apart. She has been prepared. Which means that one day in the future she is ready. Verse 27. And Christ will present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Do you see, Christ loves his church with a purpose. There is a direction to his love. It is all about preparing his bride to meet him on that wonderful, glorious day, to meet him in a way where she is not embarrassed or ashamed, where she is presented pure and holy. And Paul says to the husband, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church, which means, husbands, we are to love our wives with a purpose, we are to lay down our lives for the good of our wives. It'll mean putting our own comfort, our own personal preferences on the back burner. It'll mean thinking about what is best for her first. This doesn't mean the husband says yes to every request the wife makes. He doesn't simply do everything she wants. No, he loves her with a purpose. He loves her so that he uh, most helps her to become radiant and glorious and flourishing in the gospel. Husbands, it is our job to keep the gospel at the center of our marriages, to keep our wives nurtured and flourishing, built on that foundation of the cross of forgiveness. It is our job to bring the gospel to our Marriages when we have to forgive one another and say sorry. To bring the gospel to bear to our priorities regarding money and time. Husbands, imagine a job offer came up. A new job, a good job. The job we've been dreaming about for years, a job that was well paid, that matched our skill set, the job that would mean we worked with the dream team. Just the job we want, better than our current job. And we're thinking, do I go for it? Do I take it? Husbands, what should you do? Well, a husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church will think, what is best for my wife? What will help her flourish and grow? Is this new job near a good church? Is this new job near a place where she can get involved in a community of believers and be encouraged and and built up? How will she be uh, encouraged spiritually? If there's no one around, if there's no church, if the job is in the middle of nowhere, is it best for our wives? It might mean saying no to the job, to the promotion, so that our wives flourish and grow and are spiritually built up in Christ. It'll be costly, but we are called to love our wives like that. What about our diaries? Is there enough time for us as a couple to get along to a small group 
so that we can uh, be encouraged in our faith together. It's a time uh, in the week for us to pray together, to bring Christ into our lives in that way, to talk about the gospel together, to invest in good Christian friendships. Husbands, it is our God-given role to love our wives this way, to nurture her, to put her in a place where she can blossom and flourish in her Christian walk. And husbands, as we love our wives, we are actually loving our own body, verse 28. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Look, I have no trouble loving, loving me, loving myself. When I'm hungry, I'm very good at feeding myself. When I'm sleepy, I'm very good at going to bed. Uh, when I um, have a, a need for a jumper, I'm cold, I'm very good at getting a jumper. I'm very good at looking after me. It comes naturally. I don't have to work hard at it. I care about myself. And Paul says to the husbands, do you realize that in God's plan for the world, when, when husband marries wife, the two become one flesh. It's been that way ever since Genesis 2, when God announced how marriage works to the world. And so profound is that relationship that the wife and the husband become one body. And so to care for the wife is to care for yourself, says Paul. And so husbands, view your wife correctly, as God does. If your wife has a need, care for her. Build her up. She is your body. And in fact, as husbands love their wives this way, the watching world gets a glimpse into the greater eternal relationship between Christ and the church. And so here is the Bible's view of marriage. Whether we are in an earthly marriage or whether we want to be in such a relationship, here is Paul's pattern for us. It is a wonderful picture of submission and of love, when the wife lets the husband lead and respects his authority, and when the husband leads by loving his wife and by serving her, there is a beautiful dynamic at work in that relationship. It is other person-centered. It edifies. It encourages. To conduct our marriages this way is to play our part in God's master plan. It is to be about those good works that God has laid out for us in advance to do. This way of doing marriage may be radically countercultural. It might fly in the face of what the world says about self expression and freedom and personal preferences. But don't we long for something better than the world can offer? Don't we long for relationships where the other person puts us first? and where the other person wants our best, and we do the same for them. As we come now to share together a meal of, of bread and wine, let us remember that whether we are single or married now, whether we long to be married or wished we were not married now, let us remember that we are all engaged We are caught up in the most extraordinary love story the world has ever seen. It's a costly story of death, a story of forgiveness and restoration, a a story that will outlast every human marriage, 
a story about the God who created the universe, who chose us in love before the beginning of time to be his people, his beloved. And one day, each of us will stand before him, washed, radiant, and profoundly loved. And what a day that will be. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that history is not random or pointless. We thank you that there is a purpose to it and we have a part to play in it. Please, Father, whether we are single or married tonight, help us to think much of marriage. And would you help us to think much of that eternal marriage, that glorious relationship. Father, please help us to think much of that day when we stand washed and cleansed before our groom, looking forward to an eternity of love. Father, please help us to pin our hopes on that moment. In Jesus' name, amen.